There's really only been one subject in the news this week, CO2, carbon dioxide. We haven't got enough of it, but it's much more than just a shortage of turkey and pigs in blankets on the Christmas dinner table. The whole situation around carbon dioxide is devastating for the industry, the livestock industries in particular, but it's far more complicated than just being about carbon dioxide. It's about nitrogen plant food as well. Our agronomist Sean Sparling looks in depth for us at the huge ramifications for food and farming of a lack of not just CO2 but also nitrogen fertiliser. There is some positivity though for Lincolnshire farming. We'll hear about the ambitious plans of one of Europe's largest coleslaw cabbage growers. We've created a new plant-based ingredient to go up against pea protein and soya. Both pea and soya are a denatured protein. So that means it's gone through a process where they're actually not good for us as a human body, as good health. Simon Naylor, CEO of Naylor Farms near Spalding, joins us a little later. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning to you. Hope you've had a good week. We'll talk agronomy, the markets, the weather and straw on the farming programme today. First, though, to CO2. All the talk has been of the knock-on effects on the supply of food this Christmas and, indeed, the pig and poultry sectors are two of the worst hit. But the problem goes much deeper, as we'll hear from Sean Sparling in a moment. First, I'm joined by Richard Griffiths, Chief Exec of the British Poultry Council. Richard, this feels rather different to shortages of CO2 that we've encountered before. Yeah, this CO2 um, situation is very different from the previous problems we've had. This is based on the commercial decision to shut those plants. Now, thankfully, with government's assistance, we've got one of the plants up and running again. So that's good news for the short term. Does that solve the problem, though? We hope that the problem will be solved for the foreseeable future, let's say weeks and months leading up to Christmas. How is this situation affecting your members? Well, our members over the last week have been extremely concerned. Shortage of CO2 in their plants would ultimately mean that they can't process, slaughter, pack, chill their products and the awful effect that would have on the supply chain um, and, and food on shelves. They've been doing their absolute best to mitigate that and eke out supplies. Now there's an end in sight, hopefully it should get a little easier. We seem to be rather over-dependent on a very small number of manufacturers, don't we? I think the, the sort of dependence in the supply chain on small number of manufacturers is a result of efficient, productive, just-in-time supply chain that has worked very well for us over a long period of time. We're in a different world now. Um, we're seeing different problems and perhaps we need different solutions. So I guess that is the $64,000 question. What of the Christmas turkey this year? Overall, our turkey producers have cut back the birds placed on farm by about 20%. So that is a direct result of labour shortages and, and concerns that uh, they won't be able to process the same number of birds as last year. So that, that's our starting point. The CO2 issue has hit them a, a little bit, but uh, I think we're, we, we've maintained, our, maintained significant concern over the ability to sort of deliver Christmas for a variety of reasons. But we're trying our best to get it there. I'm sure. Richard Griffiths, CEO of the British Poultry Association. Many thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning. Thank you very much. Additionally, the British Meat Processors Association continues to be worried, highlighting the fact that the British food supply chain appeared to be at the mercy of a byproduct from a very small number of major fertiliser producers. Sean Sparling, good morning. This goes much deeper than the Christmas dinner table, though, doesn't it? 
Yeah, good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, I mean, the whole situation around carbon dioxide is devastating for the industry, the livestock industries in particular, but it's far more complicated than just being about carbon dioxide. It's about nitrogen plant food as well. On Tuesday, I was involved in a roundtable meeting, an emergency summit uh, with other industry organisations uh, to try and get a message across to the government about the seriousness of this lack of carbon dioxide, but also the lack of nitrogen fertilisers for the production of arable crops here in the UK. And I have to say, it was incredibly sobering and upsetting listening to to the passionate people from the poultry and the pig sectors talking about the issues that they're facing now on an hourly basis, not just to do with carbon dioxide, but also to do with the labour shortages and the issues that that causes in itself. So my heart and my full support goes out to these friends and colleagues in our industry. Devastating situation around carbon dioxide that could well become terminal if not addressed and if we cannot get carbon dioxide security in the UK. All of this caused, of course, in large part by the closure of three UK fertiliser plants at the end of last week. The users of the carbon dioxide, which is a byproduct in the production of ammonium nitrate fertilisers, nitrogen plant food fertilisers, these users were given little or no warning that these supplies were about to be cut off. Now, carbon dioxide, despite the press and the media suggesting otherwise, is produced at these fertiliser plants as a byproduct in the production of ammonium nitrate nitrogen plant foods. They are fertiliser plants, not carbon dioxide plants. It is a byproduct. But it is absolutely critical in UK agriculture. You know, the protection of animal welfare in processing. It helps avoid an animal welfare impact on farm and inevitable product shortages for consumers. Now, as well as that, crop production in glass houses, in particular fruit and vegetables and salad crops, means producers are already being forced to mothball or even abandon production that should have been destined for the Christmas market. Not just because of carbon dioxide, but also because of the cost of gas. The wholesale gas price went up so much. I was talking to one producer the other day who has several sites across the UK who said at just one of their sites, the price increases in fuel and gas means that he's paying a million pounds more at just one site than he was this time last year. So carbon dioxide security is paramount. We need it in other things as well. Nuclear power relies on carbon dioxide too. We need carbon dioxide security here in the UK just to protect our fuel and food security going forward. So that recent massive increase in wholesale gas price, which will affect all areas of our life, has now already led to two major domestic nitrogen fertiliser manufacturing plants shutting down. The two CF fertiliser plants at Billingham on Teesside and Ince in Cheshire have been shut down and there's no real estimate or guarantee of when full production is going to get back to pre-shutdown levels. Now that compromises the supply of a massive proportion of nitrogen plant food fertiliser product into UK agriculture, which has immediately caused concern and uncertainty because of the short-term availability of that vital plant food. Without nitrogen fertiliser, we cannot grow our staple food crops, nor indeed maintain grassland and other forage crops for livestock. Now, the livestock production sector is hit hardest by the carbon dioxide, but the arable food crop production systems are absolutely devastated with no nitrogen fertiliser. So this doesn't matter whether you eat meat, it doesn't matter whether you're 
you're a vegetarian, it doesn't matter whether you're a vegan, you will all be affected by a lack of nitrogen plant food. And because of those two plants closing down, we are now being told by fertiliser producers and some fertiliser distributor traders that it's no longer possible to give an assurance that nitrogen fertiliser is going to be available to UK agriculture for the main growing season next spring. You add to that the Environment Agency restrictions now in force on application of organic nitrogen source in the autumn and the uncertainty which surrounds the future of urea-based nitrogen supplies into the UK system, which would offset some of those losses of ammonium nitrate, and that uncertainty is hugely magnified. So import nitrogen fertilisers then. And of course we do that every year, but with the current issues surrounding Europe-wide supply problems, high demand for them over there and further compromised nitrogen fertiliser production over there too, this is a much wider problem. The new and very real uncertainty over gas supplies over in the European Union, particularly where it's being relied upon from Russia, into nitrogen fertiliser producers like Lithuania and Poland, incidentally where much of that imported nitrogen fertiliser to the UK would come is putting even more pressure on solutions via imports. Now, as a result of those Russian price hikes, Lithuania have now closed a factory and issues around physically shipping product over here into the UK from a depleted production system, our own domestic transport infrastructure problems, the likelihood of huge cost increases of what would be a very small and finite imported nitrogen quantity from the EU. And farmers are already talking in terms of abandoning the idea of planting crops for harvest 2022 and less product is absolutely physically in their farm and in stock, so as not to suffer huge production losses that that situation would unquestionably lead to. Liquid nitrogen fertiliser manufacturers as well, they require solid ammonium nitrate and urea in order to manufacture UAN products. So they can't help fulfil the shortfall either. So that puts not only the imminent winter cereal drilling season in doubt, but also the other crops that we grow in fields. Everything really other than legumes, which produce their own nitrogen. So we have, of course, grown crops in the past without using manufactured nitrogen. Organic farming does that today, but yields of around 75% lower than we achieve in conventional agriculture when you grow in organic systems. And if you look at the Soil Association website, that'll show you the current organic yields. These yields are neither sufficient to fulfil demand, nor are they economically viable or sustainable. A hundred years ago, we had no artificial nitrogen fertilisers. Everything was organic. But a hundred years ago, there were only 32 million mouths to feed we couldn't feed all of them and our yields were around 80 percent lower than they are today so the uk food supply industry that consumers rely upon to supply around 63 percent of their domestic production and consumption are being given no choice but to take decisions today not to plant crops towards 2022 harvest if they haven't got the food to feed it. Now, without UK farmers producing that 63% or so of our domestic food requirement, there is a very real possibility of a collapse of some areas of the retail food supplies, which rely upon that UK produced product for both their ingredients and their component parts. Now, our current issues around Brexit and its already obvious impact on the UK's ability to reliably import sufficient or even timely quantities of existing and required foodstuffs and other goods to cover any potential shortfalls. You've only got to look at the current issues surrounding wood products, building supplies, car spares, car parts, electronic components. It doesn't encourage that much faith in our import system. And this issue is EU-wide too. So the EU is unlikely to have massive quantities of surplus fertiliser and food to spare us anyway. So we as an industry face a real threat 
of some sort of devastation to our food supply, arable crops and livestock within one growing season. Without nitrogen plant food, we cannot grow crops. Without producing the nitrogen, we cannot produce carbon dioxide. Without growing crops on a sufficient scale to feed the nation, we have no harvest. Without that harvest, we have no farmers. Without those farmers, well, you can fill in the gaps. So supporting the domestic manufacturer of nitrogen fertiliser in any way possible here in the UK will secure our food security in the livestock sectors and the arable sectors alike. It's a difficult situation, it's complicated, and it's not going to go away. It's definitely not, and we'll keep a close eye on the situation on the farming programme. Thanks for that, Sean. We'll talk agronomy in a few minutes with Sean. One thing there seems to be no shortage of this year is straw, unlike last year. Contractor Andy Baxter, things were far from good when we spoke this time last year. How are they looking now? <laughs> well, it, it appears that we've had a full turnaround from being dire last year from supply uh, from the abysmal autumn previously to uh, this year, yes, straw stocks are plentiful. We've had relatively settled weather, so it's been uh, classed, I would say, as a, as a good bailing season. And is the difference really all down to the weather? That and uh, so many more acres drilled and a lot more straw being offered to us, which has enabled the bale count to be uh, massively increased. Which is good news all round. Quality? Uh, on the whole, about average, really. Um, I mean, we've had reasonable dry weather, as I say, but there's been nature in the straw, and uh, it's taken a bit of a while to finish off. So, uh, you know, we've had to be a bit more patient uh, and just make sure we get that quality in the bale as good as possible. So, quality's OK, quantity's OK. How about price? <laughs> Supply and demand, I'm afraid. So, yeah, big bale count and uh, poor prices now. So, uh, People that have bought um, bought straw in the summer that wanted it and put it in the sheds or use it straight away have had what they want and now the market's gone very quiet and will probably remain so until people start needing it late autumn, ready for the winter time. Uh, there's uh, power station straw on the move all the time, as you would imagine, and uh, people are busy at the moment taking some more straw down to the carrot fields and parsnip fields ready for the uh, those crops to be covered up but um, predictably uh, a little bit quiet at the moment i spoke to a grower from lincolnshire who's growing miscanthus and supplies a lot of that to power stations is that something you've had any dealings with yes i i did listen to the uh, interview last week actually on the farming program and uh, yes we are involved in that as well uh, we usually bail in uh, around sort of mid late april sometimes early may on the miscanthus, uh, but it is a little bit of a niche market compared to the acres that people grow straw-wise. You know, miscanthus is only a small pocket of uh, a commodity, but nevertheless, it's something uh, worth looking at. As your interviewer said last week, uh, people are looking over what opportunities can we take on board looking ahead. Andy, thanks ever so much for joining us again. Yep, no problem. Thank you. In a few minutes, we'll hear of the ambitious plans of one Lincolnshire cabbage grower. First, let's take a quick look at the fields. Sean. Yeah, this will be short and sweet. So all seed rate, the main egg laying period is now underway with cabbage stem flea beetle. Their wing muscles will now have pretty much faded away. So if they're in a field, they'll stay in a field. They won't migrate to neighbouring fields. Very, very high levels of direct plant feeding going on out here at the moment to such an extent that they are devastating some fields. And remember that when it comes to cabbage stem flea beetle or any other insect resistance, resistance means resistance. They don't grow 
out of it. A multiple application of pyrethroid will only make that problem worse if you are not killing them. So you just have to keep your fingers crossed that all will go with you. Very little in the way of disease out there in oilseed rape. So uh, at least that's one uh, silver lining in the cloud. Glyphosate supply is very, very difficult out there at the moment. So tailor your applications to suit the situation. Don't waste it. Use it sparingly and only drill wheat and barley and rye into fields at the moment which do not have a blackgrass problem. The dormancy of the blackgrass seed this year is very high up into the 70% I understand. That's going to take a while before it breaks dormancy. So if you go putting a winter wheat crop or a barley crop or a rye crop into a blackgrass field without first having taken a flush out with glyphosate you may well be storing up an awful lot of trouble. It is still only September after all. There's plenty of time yet to get these crops in the ground and get a couple of flushes out of the way before you start. That'll do. I'll see you next week. Naylor Farms, a family-run farm near Spalding, have been growing cabbage and potatoes successfully for over 110 years. That's an awful lot of coleslaw and potato salad. They've now applied for planning permission to build an innovative £20 million, 2,500 square metre processing plant. Simon Naylor, CEO of Naylor Farms, why are you doing this? We generate probably three to 500 tonnes a week of cabbage trimming. So when we're trimming this coleslaw cabbage, we trim it down so it's a nice light white colour. So I keep been looking at how much waste we have. I mean, we call it waste, but it's actually very good leaf. What do you do with it at the moment? At the moment, it's either spread back onto the land or in the winter months, it's a good source of cattle feed um, and it's just given away. You know, of course, you look at this waste that comes off and what can we do? And I ended up coming up with an idea. I've been working with some scientists in Holland and you know, you, you'll perhaps ask me, say, why Holland? Well, Holland are at the forefront of protein extraction and what we've done, we've now extracted protein protein fibers the protein fibers are six times more absorbent than anything on the market so as a meat replacer they're fantastic so we've created a new plant-based ingredient to go up against pea protein and soya both pea and soya are a denatured protein so that means it's gone through a process where they're actually not good for us as a human body as good good health we're going to tell the world and we're going to build this first new factory. Because let's face it, plant-based products, well, plant-based is the, the sort of buzzword at the moment, isn't it? Everybody's looking mm. at things being plant-based. And I know green credentials and sustainability and so on are important to Naylor Farms anyway, aren't they? True. The, and the way this factory is, there's no waste comes out of it at all. So um, we can take our waste uh, vegetable trimmings we can take vegetable trimmings from other pack houses we're already in talks with retailers about out-of-date life vegetables to be put through the plant that means food waste is going to come we can turn it now back into an ingredient it's a protein which is non-denatured that means it's all about the gut health you've got all the nutrients yeah it's totally revolutionary and it's fantastic that we're going to have the first factory here in in lincolnshire south holland and you're going to be having other factories what in the uk or elsewhere uk yes definitely uk because it's easier to manage but uh, we're now in talks so we've got a farm in spain where we're looking at 
start the planning process. I know Holland very well and, and the, the Dutch government are involved in this because it's a, an export win. We've done it so that uh, all the machinery will be built in Holland. That means the Dutch government are also investing in this because it's benefiting their country for an export win for all the machinery. So, of course, they're keen for us to put a factory there. Same in Germany, Poland. But, yeah, of course, UK is the key. And you've had some involvement, I gather, with Lincoln University as well. What are, what are they doing as part wonderful. of this? Wonderful. Yeah, what, Lincoln University have been wonderful. They are at the forefront of all this food technology and they've got a food hub being built here in Holbeach. This is right up their street. You know, it's it's revolutionary. We want to uh, involve them heavily and have a student learning centre at, at the factory because because it's so new and there's nothing like it, we need now to upskill, have new students coming along who are, want to then work for us put them placements around uh, different factories good stuff well simon i wish you all the best in your project we'll keep in touch and uh, follow your progress closely and thanks for joining us on the farming program that's wonderful nice talking to you time for our weekly look at the markets now with open fields kit dickinson good morning kit well good morning steve prices began the week on the back foot having to contend with risk off headwinds in the macro markets Attention-grabbing headlines regarding energy markets, Chinese property company, possible debt default and a rehashed US biofuel mandate story all combined to take prices lower. There were also fears that tapering and interest rate rises would figure high on this week's US Federal Reserve meeting, all of which sent a shiver down Wall Street. It all turned out to be a bit of a damp squib and the market moved back higher. There were reports that Russia could impose a 1.6 million metric tonne monthly export quota, which, although unconfirmed, would not be a great surprise as the previous quotas and the export tax have failed to reduce the Russian domestic prices. There are also rumours of rail subsidies to the inland destinations that are opposed to the ports. EU wheat exports are 42% ahead of last year, which is unsustainable and almost certainly understated, whilst Russian exports are just below last year, albeit with a much smaller crop. Canadian exports will be down by 10 million metric tonnes on last year after a poor crop and with no sign of demand from major importers slowing. The demand will eventually need to shift elsewhere, with the US being the most likely beneficiary. Early reports on US maize yields are mixed, with fungal disease causing the problem and disappointing yields in Illinois, which is one of the eastern states expected to compensate for the drought crops in the west. Whilst it is too early to draw conclusions, it is always unlikely to be the record yield that the USDA had originally forecast, with some now below 170 bushels per acre, and the USDA's estimation was 176.3, which would necessitate some major alterations to the US balance sheet. So moving on to barley, markets continue to see support from the European interest keeping free onboard values underpinned and hence UK values on their toes. We continue to see samples coming forward that are upgraded from feed and slotting into the malting specification. With the market working its way through this year's samples, there is some debate between analysts over the size of the crop and what that means for the UK supply and demand as it courts the European interest. News surrounding the temporary closure of two UK fertiliser manufacturers and the impact this had on CO2 production has focused on the meat packaging industry. However, the beverage industry also faces a shortage, particularly in bottled and canned beers. 
Oilseed rate fundamentals remain tight and this has helped push values higher over the week. Matif futures broke through the 600 euros for the first time and has built some support at that level. EU import numbers reflect the tighter availability picture which current import standings of 944,000 tonnes versus the 1.5 million tonnes this time last year. Further afield we do continue to see the harvest progress in Canada without any improvement to the crop outlook. China has been back to the US for additional soybeans following on from the cancellations and the lack of filling purchases of Brazilian beans last week. Further development this week in the biofuel debate in the US with the USDA chief economist commentating on the expansion of the renewable energy demand and what this means for the soybean demand and hence soybeans as a whole, which will reflect on the oilseed rate market. So looking at prices this week for feed wheat, October 187 to 189, November 189 to 191, February 192 to 194, May 195 to 197. Milling wheat premiums are currently £30. Feed barley for October is 175 to 177, November 177 to 179, February 180 to 182, and May 182 to 184. Malting premiums are circa £35 for a 185 nitrogen. Oil seed rate October 515 to 517, November 517 to 519, February 519 to 522, and May 522 to 525. Thank you very much as ever. Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A mostly dry start to the week with a mid-teens southerly breeze and highs of 23 Celsius today. Some rains likely overnight into a cooler and mostly dry Monday with a similar strength wind veering slightly to the southwest, highs of 17. Some light rain on Tuesday, brisker southerly winds and highs staying around 17 Celsius, dry with a 20 mile per hour westerly on Wednesday, then some heavy rains forecast for Thursday, the winds staying southwesterly but easing a little, highs of 16 and a cooler but dry end to the week. Well, that's your lot on the farming programme for this week. Back next Sunday or whenever you want on the podcast or as your smart speaker to play the farming programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Have a good farming week.